0: It's time to take the quiz. 5 questions, 5 minutes a day, 5 days a week.
1: Take the quiz every weekday at the quiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course listen to the quiz at the quiz.fox.
2: Now from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson show with Guy Benson.
0: It is Friday, February 11, 2022. I'm Guy Benson. This is The Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you here every single weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And if you can't catch us live, and there are many ways to listen live, including on our great affiliates like 106.3 Extra in Atlanta, where I'm broadcasting from, as I did yesterday, again here today. We've got great stations across the country. We have our partners at odyssey.com, AUDACY.com. ycom all the various options, Fox Nation, the app, the live stream, it's all at GuyBensonShow.com. On today's program, here's our lineup. Since we're in Georgia, let's talk to the governor, Brian Kemp, Republican down here. He will be joining us in just about half an hour. Julie Banderas of Fox News, our colleague, will be here in the next hour, as will Dave Rubin, host of the Rubin Report. Will Kane, to round things out today in our final hour, previewing the Super Bowl and talking about some politics as well. Plus, in our home stretch, the final segment of the show, we will recap a very fun event here in Atlanta. And apparently, what the people want is more producer Christine. We'll get into all of that upcoming here on the show today. Fox News alert as we begin stats 77.3 million confirmed cases of COVID in the United States, all in cumulatively. That's a gross underestimation. Cases down 63% compared to two weeks ago. The death toll, people dying with or of COVID in the United States, 914,303. Well, the Dow is suffering today. It is way down in the red, down 428 points right now to 34,812. We had the Spooky report yesterday on inflation and now some spooky events on the global stage that probably contribute now to the roiling of the markets. And that brings us to another Fox News alert as we come on the air here today. Just moments ago at the White House, the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan came out to the podium and made a number of announcements regarding the situation in Ukraine. Now, a few minutes prior to the official public statement from the White House, administration officials were on background talking to reporters, and apparently the situation is looking rather grim. From PBS, one of their uh, top correspondents, Nick Schifrin, reported that U.S. officials now anticipate that Putin has decided, this is based on their intelligence, to invade Ukraine. And has communicated those plans, meaning from the Kremlin, to the rank and file in the military, in recent days. That's according to three officials. So U.S. intelligence, based on these leaks at least, suggests that Putin has made the call that the invasion is going to happen. And those orders or those plans have been passed down to the Russian military. Two officials in the Biden administration tell PBS News that they expect the invasion will begin next week, which would be during the Olympics still, by the way, echoing what the Secretary of State has said. Defense officials now anticipate, quote, a horrific, bloody campaign that would begin with bombardment, followed by an invasion, with the possible goal of regime change, meaning overthrowing the government in Ukraine. So there have been a lot of calls among NATO allies and other world leaders today leading up to now the announcement that I'm going to play for you in just a second from Jake Sullivan. I know a lot of the conventional wisdom, and we had experts on this show saying Putin probably wouldn't do anything until after the Winter Olympics are over in Beijing. Now that seems to be cast into more doubt, and this timeline might be – even more imminent. So just setting aside the politics for a moment, and I know that there's a lot of politics flying around already. Biden is on his way to Camp David. Why is he leaving the White House during another potential crisis? We've seen this before. What's what's the thought process there? That's maybe more optics than anything else, but optics matter. Is this another sign of U.S. weakness? They're talking about urging Americans to get out of Ukraine. They would not be rescued by the U.S. military if they're stuck in Ukraine. I think there are absolutely fair critiques of this administration and American leadership. But I think what matters more right now is that it looks like the person primarily responsible for what very well might happen and might happen very soon, Vladimir Putin, is, again, reportedly moving in that direction quite swiftly. So here's Sullivan on this perhaps accelerated timeline that I just mentioned. This was minutes ago at the White House in the briefing room, cut 29.
3: We continue to to see signs of Russian escalation, including new forces arriving at the Ukrainian border. As we've said before, we are in the window when an invasion could begin at any time should Vladimir Putin decide to order it. I will not comment on the details of our intelligence information, but I do want to be clear. It could begin during the Olympics, uh, despite a lot of speculation uh, that it would only happen after the Olympics.
0: Sullivan underscored that there is great unity among Western allies and NATO, that crippling sanctions and other consequences would await Russia if they move forward with this. He also issued a specific warning to Americans in Ukraine And by the way, this comes in the context of a report today in The Wall Street Journal that there are now more than half a dozen, we believe. I think the number I last saw was nine Westerners being held, whether you want to call them hostages or detainees, by the Taliban in Afghanistan, including journalists, including an American. That is playing out right now in a previous theater of American weakness on display. That's happening today in Afghanistan Here's a warning to Americans in Ukraine about what might be coming and what the administration is urging them to do in Cut 31.
3: And I now want to take a moment to echo what both President Biden and Secretary Blinken have already said. We encourage all American citizens who remain in Ukraine to depart immediately. We want to be crystal clear on this point. Any American in Ukraine should leave as soon as possible and in any event in the next 24 to 48 hours. We obviously cannot predict the future. We don't know exactly what is going to happen. But the risk is now high enough, and the threat is now immediate enough, that this is what prudence demands. If you stay, you are assuming risk, with no guarantee that there will be any other opportunity to leave, and no prospect of a U.S. military evacuation in the event of a Russian invasion.
0: What would a Russian invasion look like? Top 32.
3: If a Russian attack on Ukraine proceeds, it is likely to begin with aerial bombing and missile attacks that could obviously kill civilians without regard to their nationality. A subsequent ground invasion would involve the onslaught of a massive force with virtually no notice. Communications to arrange a departure could be severed and commercial transit halted. No one would be able to count on air or rail or road departures once military action got underway.
0: Well, there are more than 100,000 Russian troops massed on the border between Russia and Ukraine, so the eastern side of Ukraine. And the White House did say in this briefing, U.S. officials believe that a rapid assault on Kiev – I've said Kiev forever – I learned this week from Brett Bayer that that is apparently the Russian pronunciation, Kiev, and the Ukrainians say Kiev, so we'll say Kiev, that a rapid assault on Kiev, the capital city, is possible. So that would be much more than a minor incursion, to borrow a phrase. That would be a full-blown invasion of the country and an overthrow of the government. We don't know exactly the extent of what Putin has planned here, but based on US intelligence assessments Putin has now made the decision that an invasion is going to happen an attack is going to happen and it could happen sooner than anyone expected even during the winter Olympics as soon as next week so we will have full coverage of all of this no matter what ends up happening we don't have a crystal ball here but it's a very volatile and dangerous situation I feel very badly for the people of Ukraine and patriots who are preparing to fight for their country. And there's going to be, if Russian forces go forward on the order of Vladimir Putin, there's going to be bloodshed and innocent lives lost. And I just hope that the assurances from the Biden administration and from some of our allies that the response against Russia globally in terms of these sanctions will be as harsh as promised. Because if Putin does this, there has to be hell to pay. Militarily, from the Ukrainians, I mean, there'll be very much, uh, you know, the, the prospect for casualties on the Russian side, for sure. But then just in terms of financial sanctions and ostracizing from the global community in ways that aren't just symbolic but actually have bite. So that's the big breaking news to begin the show today on this Friday with a report now breaking as well that the Pentagon is sending 3,000 U.S. troops from the 82nd Airborne into Poland. Again, not to go to Ukraine, but to send a message to Putin and to the Kremlin to fortify some of our allies within NATO that are sort of in the danger zone potentially should Russia decide to do anything even more rash and reckless a story we are following and covering. And if this timeline, the timetable, really does reach as soon as next week, of course, as I said, we will bring you coverage of that with expert commentary and analysis. Let's hope it doesn't come to it, but it's looking grimmer. With that, let's pause, take a timeout, come back, and continue. It's the Guy Benson Show, Friday edition from Atlanta. Stay tuned.
2: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
0: I'm Guy Benson. We're back. President Biden gave an interview with Lester Holt of NBC News, and it didn't go terribly well for a couple of different reasons. Well, we can talk about Cut 16, or we can just play it.
4: There was no way we were ever going to unite Ukraine. I mean, excuse me, Iraq, Afghanistan. No way that was going to happen.
0: Third time's a charm.
4: That was maybe just a
0: stumble. I saw some people angrily tweeting. It's not fair to criticize him for that because he had a stutter as a kid. No, that's not a stutter issue. That's forgetting the country that you're talking about twice. But he was asked by Lester Holt about inflation. And I know what's gotten a lot of attention today is him sort of snapping back saying, oh, You're being a wise guy with that question, because it was just a relatively tough question, quoting the president's own words back to him about inflation. That's, again, setting four decade records in terms of uh, the the rate of inflation. And so Biden sort of was a bit churlish. With the wise guy comment, but to me, just as interesting That's one word maybe disconcerting is the rest of the answer does this response right the initial kind of lashing out and then what he went on to say does this give you any confidence at all that this is a president who understands not just what the problem is but how to articulate and then reverse the problem cut
4: two. I think it was back in July you said inflation was gonna be temporary I think a lot of Americans are wondering what your definition of temporary is. Well, you're being a wise guy with me a little bit. Uh, and I understand that's your job. But look, uh, at the time, what happened was the uh, let's look at the reason for the inflation. The reason for the inflation is the supply chains were cut off, meaning that the products, for example, automobiles, The lack of computer chips to be able to build those automobiles so they could function. They need those computer chips. They were not available. So what happens? The number of cars were reduced. The new cars reduced. It made up at one point one-third the cost of inflation because the price of automobiles were up.
0: That is what we would call, ladies and gentlemen, a word salad. Now, you're being a wise guy. No, he's not. I mean, Lester Holt, he also did the Kamala Harris interview, didn't he? The famous one where she was down there somewhere in Central America, and he asked her a very basic question about immigration and the border. And she ended up saying, well, I haven't been to Europe, and then had that awkward laugh. Lester Holt, I mean, these are not exactly zingers from him. And yet Biden was peeved that he had his own words quoted back to him. Totally legitimate question. I mean, Harris had a meltdown in that previous interview with Lester Holt. I don't know if he's got sort of uh, the magic touch here. But then he pivots. That's your job. So he tries to kind of get a little bit more magnanimous. And then the rest of that answer is just a mess. All right, he's, Let's look at the reasons of inflation. And he cuts himself off and says, well, let's talk about automobiles. And he's talking about computer chips and supply chain disruptions i mean this is maybe one narrow component of the bigger picture it just doesn't feel at all like this is someone in command of what the problem is and how to fix it and we know actually he doesn't know how to fix it he being president biden because even as he promises to push back on inflation and to i believe the quote yesterday was fight like the devil on inflation he also wants to spend hundreds of billions And if he had his druthers, trillions of new dollars on top of the trillions that have already gone out the door in the last two years. To me, that's just a betrayal of a fundamental lack of understanding. Where you recognize that there's pain out there from inflation, where you spend a lot of time, months, insisting it would be temporary and transitory. Then we're almost a year into it. A journalist asks you, hey, you know, what exactly is your definition of temporary? You're like, hey, don't get wise with me, pal. At least they didn't call him a stupid SOB. Maybe that was later. And then you go off in this rambling answer. And if you were asked as a follow-up question, would you like Build Back Better $5 trillion pass, The answer to that question would be yes. There is a reason why the American people have very low confidence in President Biden. He has earned. That low confidence. We played you the soundbite yesterday from CNN. Their new poll has him at 58% disapproval. And the eye-opening part of that poll was they asked with an array of options, like a whole array of options, which of these would you say is something that you do support from President Biden? And the number one answer, 56% of respondents said nothing, none of the above. When your answer is like E, none of the above, And that's a majority of the American people. You're in pretty dire straits. And that is the situation in which President Biden finds himself and not because he's a bystander, not because he's had a a stroke of bad luck. It's because he is presiding over failed policies and broken promises. And he campaigned one way. The American people elected him to do a handful of things. And on all of those things, he is not, as the cliche goes, meeting the moment. And we all know it. And we can all see it. Now the president's off to Camp David. Interesting choice. Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia joins me next.
2: Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
0: It's the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com. Podcasts always free. Happy Friday, one and all. As I mentioned yesterday and again here today, I'm broadcasting from the studios of 106.3 FM. Extra, our affiliate in Atlanta, Georgia. And appropriately, we have with us now the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp. Georgia's 83rd governor. He's a Republican. He joins us now. And Governor, great to have you back here.
5: Hey, Guy, thanks for having me on. I apologize. I couldn't get to the studio today. It's great to have you back in town and certainly appreciate all the guys at 106.3.
0: Absolutely. And we'll have to get you back here maybe next time I'm in town. It's fun to be back in your state. I want to start on the issue of COVID because you have, I'm sure, watched with great interest over the last five days as a parade of Democratic governors have decided that the time has come to start lifting various COVID mandates, including on masks, many including children in schools. And they are claiming either explicitly or implicitly that the science somehow has changed on this stuff. And I know a lot of the Republican governors, yourself included, who did this a long time ago are looking around and wondering, what are they talking about? What science has changed? You were really first in the country and very harshly criticized at the time for opening up and ending some of the restrictions. I just wonder how you think about and sort of reflect back on that decision that you made early on in this pandemic and kind of juxtapose that with what the governors on the Democratic side are doing this week, all sort of at the same time stampeding together and clearly a very different tone in the coverage from much of the media.
5: Well, it's something to watch, that's for sure. I mean, look, pandemic politics uh, has been on display for a long time in our state and in our country, and it certainly was before the 2020 election. But you know what, guys, it's on display right now with all these Democratic governors, uh, you know, other people around the country that are undoing mass mandates that, you know, we've never had at state level here in the state of Georgia. And, you know, they're they're saying it's because of the data and the science, but it's not. It's a political decision because of recent events here in Georgia with the hypocrisy of Stacey Abrams and school systems that have mask mandates, yet they'll allow visitors to come into school without masks. And, and the American people and people of Georgia just think this is insane. I mean, it's, it's so far into the pandemic now. We have tools to deal with this. People know where they are. They have the information they need to make good health care decisions for them and for their children and that's what we should be letting parents do
0: you mentioned Stacey Abrams I was gonna ask you about her as well I mean that photograph I think spoke volumes right you almost couldn't choreograph a photograph more damaging to her position than the one that she not only posed for but also posted before deleting and then attacking you for criticizing her sort of suggesting it was racist then she apologized but to me the most important thing is that she still believes that the problem is people who are not uh, forcing children to wear masks. And it reminds me, actually, of President Biden's position. It's still his position, based on what the CDC is saying. Here in Cut 5, he just said this this week on the very same issue. Let's listen.
4: Are you afraid, though, that some states and, and cities are moving too quickly to loosen indoor mask mandates? Well, you know, it's, uh, I've I committed that I would follow the science, the science as put forward by the cdc and the, and the and the federal people, and uh, I think it 's probably premature, but it's you know it 's a tough call
0: so he 's hedging a little bit there, Governor, but he 's claiming that he 's following the science he 's not on school masking he just isn 't there 's no science in support of that policy, but he 's saying for now at least it 's still premature to take face coverings off of little children. That is also Stacey Abrams position. That is the Biden Abrams position forced masking for children in Georgia schools. That, I guess, would be her policy if she were governor of Georgia right now. That seems to be a pretty important thing for voters to know.
5: So many contrasts, not only on this issue, but keeping the economy open. Have our kids in even in the classroom, regardless of whether they're masked or not, just actually having them going to school versus not. There was many of our local metro systems that are controlled by Democratic school boards that played pandemic politics with that, the vaccine and other things. And quite honestly, God, no one trusts President Biden anymore. You know, this is a president that said, get vaccinated, take your mask off. We're not going to have Matt. We're not going to have vaccine mandates. Uh, now he's just mandated vaccines on everything under the sun. And if it wasn't for Republican governors and myself that were pushing back with multiple lawsuits against that, it would be the law of the land right now. And so, look, this is back to my point. I mean, I took pictures this week with students that were up on Capitol Hill. Some of them had masks on, some of them didn't. You know, let's let the parents make that decision for them. Let's not, you know, put put our kids in, in mask and our teachers in mask uh, when there's not a need for it. On many cases, when people. You know, feel feel very uncomfortable doing that. It's now in time in the pandemic. You know, a lot of science is out there saying, hey, look, the cloth masks don't work again. You know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I'm not the expert there. But at this point, people have information that they can go and get and make those decisions for themselves. You know, we are running a risk in this country of having the government decide everything for us. And that is not a good place for America to be. And that's what I'm fighting back against. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue to do that.
0: One more question on this front. I want to play you a soundbite. This is from Las Vegas, Nevada, where the Democratic governor out there just announced sort of on a dime, along with this whole conga line of Democratic governors. Oh, we're lifting the mandates, including in schools. And a teacher informed her class. These are young kids, elementary school age, informed her class. The masks are going away. Listen to the reaction of these kids in cut 18. All right. They all go crazy. Now, there might be some people saying, oh, no, they're screaming in terror because of people like Governor Kemp and Governor DeSantis and Governor Abbott. No, these kids were celebrating, jumping up and down, so happy that they can take these masks off. They should be happy. The science does support, does not support having them in those masks. Just a moment ago, you said that you believe parents should have this choice. I agree. I agree. That's the law in Florida, for example. That is just going to become the law in Virginia under Governor Yunkin. You mentioned some of the local areas in Georgia run by Democrats that have not allowed this parental choice. Do you believe that the time has come and maybe should have been done sooner to adopt in Georgia what has been done in Florida and is happening in Virginia, where even in some of these blue areas, parental choice is the mandated law in the state?
5: Well, most of the school systems in Georgia, let's be clear. I mean, our you know, the Jefferson City Schools was the first school in the country to go back in person after the, you know, the first traumatic events that we saw early on during COVID. Uh, Many of our systems have had kids in the classroom for a very long time now. Uh, They haven't had mass mandates. My daughter's teaching first grade right now in a public school system. Uh, they haven't had a mandate mandate yet and that school has just been the pandemic pandemic politics of the local school boards but you know we have duly elected school boards in georgia that govern the local schools we have a state school board that the members are appointed by the governor that did you know that dictate uh, a lot of the policy Uh, so our structure is a little bit different from other other uh, states around the country we have a constitutionally elected state school superintendent So a lot of those things don't necessarily fall to the governor. And I've been very patient because I'm a local-controlled governor. I believe, you know, decisions are made best at the local level. You know, I don't like the heavy hand of the federal government mandating things on us, and I don't want state government mandating things on locals either. But, look, this has just gone on too far. I mean, it's gotten to be ridiculous. And the whole thing with Stacey Abrams the other day just showed that it's not about science anymore. It is all about politics. It's hypocrisy. And I just, you know, we're we're working on legislation to put an end to that. Uh, we're talking to the legislators now. And I hope that sends a message to these school systems. They need to undo the mask mandates. If parents think kids need to wear a mask to school, well, by gosh, they can, they can get them to do that. But if they don't, then let's don't put them through that, especially these young kids that haven't been severely affected, or at least a, you know, most of them have not. I know COVID is very dangerous. You know, I've encouraged people to get vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. I'm boosted myself. But people have the tools to make these decisions. Now, we cannot continue to live like this forever uh, because of this virus. We were in a much different place now than we were two years ago.
0: Talking about safety, but on a different subject, let's discuss crime. I was at dinner last night with a number of Georgians who live in the state, and crime, particularly in the state of Atlanta, or rather in the city of Atlanta, sometimes it feels like it's its own state, uh, has been really yeah, I, I, bad, and, and it's gotten worse. And I know we've discussed this before. There's only so much, again, that the state can do at the state level, and you've been moving resources and that sort of thing. But whether it's organized crime and gangs, uh, whether it's seemingly random acts of violence – you know, Atlanta has gotten pretty scary in some places, even some neighborhoods that were considered very safe and upscale not that long ago. What's your current stance on what ought to be done? Because just firsthand last night, I know this is something Georgians are talking about.
5: Well, look, you're exactly right, Guy. I mean, it's probably the number one issue right now in the city of Atlanta. It may not be around the rest of the state, but it certainly is here. People are scared to death. I mean, it's one of the reasons that we're pushing forward in the General Assembly this year, uh, and our team is leading the charge to get constitutional carry done. It's a public safety issue now. Uh, people just feel like there hasn't been enough done by the city uh, to protect them and their neighborhoods, and people want to have the ability to do that themselves. All the bad guys got guns, and you know, law-abiding citizens are having to wait a year or 12 months to get a carry permit from these local governments up here. And I'm in the same place I am with Mass. You know, enough is enough, and we've got to do more. But I will tell you that we have been moving the needle from the state perspective. I know we've talked about my crime suppression unit. We're using governor's emergency funds. And then just since April in the last nine months, just because we're having more resources on the streets, we're working with the Atlanta Police Department. Their officers are riding with us because they have a no-chase policy. It's no fault of their own. But they are helping us in this effort. Uh, We've arrested 23 people who who had outstanding murder warrants. We've uh, gotten over 262 stolen vehicles, recovered almost $5.5 million in value, 116 stolen weapons we've taken off the streets. We've arrested 361 wanted persons, which 23 for murder, 466 DUIs. So we are continuing to move the needle. But we just need, need more people in the fight. You know, that's one of the frustrations I had with the former mayor, great person, but she just wasn't concerned about this issue or didn't want to do something about it. I, I don't really understand the politics of that. But we're working with the local metro police chiefs now and the new sheriff and uh, a lot of state resources, Department of Natural Resources, GBI, State Patrol, community supervision. We're flying helicopters. We're tracking these people. We're chasing them. Uh, We're doing pit maneuvers to to stop them in these fast cars that they got. And, uh, you know, it's dangerous work, but our folks are doing a great job. And we are going to continue to do that, to do everything that we can, not only to make Georgians, especially in Atlanta, feel safe, but also to continue to pressure the locals that, look, they've got to step up and get in the fight, you know, more than they are now. But we've also had successful operations that we've done in Macon, Georgia, and in Columbus, Georgia, uh, with the crime suppression unit.
0: Finally inflation the news broke yesterday 7.5 percent rise in inflation vastly outpacing wage gains in the United States It's the worst number on that metric in 40 years since the early 1980s that's hurting a lot of people and families and taxpayers all across the country no exception here in Georgia I would imagine when you talk to Georgians yes you hear about crime in certain areas and you're hearing about mask mandates and, and all this other stuff. But just the cost of everything going up, that has to be really front and center for so many families across
5: this state. It's unbelievable, guy. I mean, you know, the middle and the working class is getting hammered by the Biden administration. 40 year inflation. There's reports out here that it's costing the average Georgian an extra $250 a week because of inflation. Um, you know, it's outrageous. The, the president wanted the country shut down, you know, way too long. A lot of the Democratic governors did that. Thankfully, we didn't do that here. And uh, not many people in the southeast did that. And I think if you look at what we're doing, the steps that we've taken to help keep the supply chain moving in our state, keep our factories and our production facilities open and keeping people working, we're faring better than most. Great example is the Georgia Ports Authority, you know. We, we faced the backlog like everybody else. It wasn't as bad as LA and Long Beach, uh, but we've now cleared the backlog. Back I was down there over New Year's. We had zero ships at anchor in the port of Savannah. And in LA and Long Beach, you know, Buttigieg and the presidents, you know, said they saved Christmas by what they did out there. Well, they're in the same boat that they were several months ago. There's still 75 to 100 boats at anchor, I'm told. And we have zero here at our ports. And it's because we have a great private sector board that governs it. You know, we run it like a business and we're getting a job done. We were proactive months on, on finding new space for containers. We did that months before, you know, Biden and the rest of the team even started talking about this issue. And, and the leadership that we have in the states with the Republican governors and the conservatives that have been doing two things during the pandemic, protecting lives, but also protecting livelihoods. The rest of the country is now seeing, um, you know, the fruits of our labor and how resilient our people have been. And it's, it hasn't been easy. Uh, there's been a lot of heartbreak for everybody across uh, the state of Georgia and across America. Uh, but but we're better off for it economically right now. And, and uh, there's, there's just a lot of states. I mean, people are leaving. You know, they're, they're leaving. Their business is gone forever. And they're moving to states where they have freedom, opportunity, and prosperity.
0: Yep, and we'll be talking to one of them later in the show, Dave Rubin, who got out of California. He'll be here coming up in our next hour. Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. I'm doing the show from Georgia. Glad to have you here by phone. Maybe we'll catch you in person next time, Governor. Thanks for your time regardless.
5: Thanks, yeah. Have a great weekend.
0: You bet. You too. The Guy Benson Show continues right after this.
2: Guy Benson will be right back.
7: Oh, we're going to... Lift mass mandates on these little children as if somehow they've just had an epiphany or even some suggest the science has changed. And let me just tell you, the science has not changed one iota.
0: It's the Guy Benson Show. That's the voice of Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. We just spoke with another governor from the southeast, Brian Kemp, here in Georgia. Just a bit south from here is Florida, those free states that Governor Kemp was just talking about. And this was DeSantis yesterday making the point that we've made here on the show, just ridiculing the idea that somehow the science has changed on school masking. So all of a sudden it's safe for the Democrats to do the thing that Republicans were attacked for doing, even though it was the right thing to do long ago. And by the way, the Democrats doing it now are still in violation of the CDC, quote unquote, science on this. But the White House isn't going that hard after them. Hmm. DeSantis went on, cut 27.
7: We knew from the beginning, and that's why Florida never imposed a mass force masking policy on school children. And that's why we fought to liberate the kids uh, from the force masking uh, that was done on the local level, uh, because there was never a justification for it. You know, if you look at what CDC and Biden's administration did, they are outliers in the rest of the world. You look at all the other industrialized countries, not one country was as absolutely insane about force masking kids as the United States government was. And I'm proud to say in Florida, you know, we stood up to the Biden administration, we stood with the parents, uh, and we stood with the well-being of the
0: kids. Correct on the science, and he has been for a while on this front, and DeSantis very much entitled to a victory lap, I think, on this one. Setting the record straight, as we do on The Guy Benson Show every day.
2: Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show.
0: It's a brand new hour here on the Guy Benson Show, our middle hour of 3, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern every weekday. We also have Bonus Benson on the weekends. That's the podcast, which is also available every day, seven days a week. GuideBensonShow.com is our website. Everything available right there. GuideBensonShow.com, including that free podcast. Fox News alert. As we begin the hour, bad day on Wall Street again. The Dow closing down 503 points to 34,738, and I would imagine – It's a combination of a number of factors, including yesterday's inflation report and today's breaking news that the U.S. government is now basically warning that they believe Russia is preparing to invade Ukraine and that that could happen any day, even as early as next week in the middle of the Winter Olympics, which a lot of people assumed at least Putin would wait until after those games before invading a neighbor. But based on, I guess, some of the intelligence that our people have gathered and have now relayed to reporters, uh, that previously expected time frame is no longer necessarily operable, could be a lot sooner. And so that is obviously a very significant and concerning development. I know this has been a very real possibility for quite some time. We've been talking about potential war between Russia and Ukraine for weeks now. But that prospect, I guess, is growing even more real. And if not real, not merely real, but imminent, only time will tell. But that is something that we wanted to highlight for you at the top of the show today and remind you, that's like the wall-to-wall coverage on Fox News Channel right now. Russia, according to the U.S., has all the pieces in place for a major operation, an incursion, invasion, invasion, into Ukraine that could go all the way to the capital in Kiev there could be an effort for regime change and I guess Putin has made his calculations and the report came down earlier that Putin has handed down that decision already to his commanders saying this is gonna happen and if the West is serious about extremely painful repercussions when it comes to sanctions uh, then that prospect or that promise will be tested potentially very soon. So it's something, of course, that we will continue to keep an eye on here. In the meantime, I want to talk about an issue here on the domestic front, and it's something that we touched on last hour with Governor Kemp. Since we're broadcasting here in Georgia, we had him join the show, with crime being a very major issue in the city of Atlanta in particular. And it's not just Atlanta, I mean, it's all over the country. And we've talked about the number of police officers who have been shot or even killed in the line of duty just this year alone. There have been some pretty scary things happening in New York City recently. There was a shooting in broad daylight in Midtown, not far from our Fox News headquarters. There was an attempted rape downtown, kind of near Wall Street in the subway. And... One of the issues that came up recently related to crime on the politics side was that, I think, strange decision of Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, circle back, decided to go on one of these podcasts, one of these left-wing podcasts with the Obama bros that I guess she had worked with back in the previous administration, previous Democratic administration, and she was, I guess, making fun of this idea that fox news is covering crime and the crime spree and the spike in violent crime and record setting murder rates in some of these cities she thought that was strange and sort of inexplicable and she was talking specifically about a chyron one of the graphics at the bottom of the screen on the five about soft on crime consequences and she said what does that even mean and we've talked about that we've sort of Answered that question for her here on the show. We've done it ourselves. We've done it with guests. And I think part of the problem that the White House has goes to another story that broke this week from Axios about a lawmaker, a Democrat, who's a member of the squad, Cory Bush. So a very left wing squadster from Missouri. And Cory Bush ran as a hardcore left winger. Won. That race, And now she's a member of Congress and she is one of the most vocal advocates for defunding the police. She doesn't couch that phrase. She doesn't back away from that phrase. And in fact, she told Axios this week she's going to double down on the slogan defund the police, even in the face of concerns from some of her more moderate or at least moderate acting colleagues, because ultimately they all vote the same way. They all support Pelosi. But some of them want to, for the folks back home, make it seem like they're more moderate. And being connected to a party that's perceived in any way as being in favor of defunding the police is just anathema. Right? It is toxic. So you've had moderate-seeming Democrats effectively begging the squad types to just cool it with the defund the police stuff. And Cory Bush saying this week, absolutely not. We have to defund the police. And what she said was, look, I wouldn't have to say stuff like defund the police if you people hadn't screwed everything up and caused all these problems before I got here. This is sort of this very arrogant uh, position and attitude that she's adopted, not surprising for a squad member. And the thing is, and, and I think this is where it's important to bring this out and zoom out to the Democratic Party broadly because it's not just a few backbenchers like Cori Bush, who, by the way, I will note, if you might remember this, it has been revealed that her campaign has spent six figures on private security for her. Right? Cori Bush, Congressman Cori Bush, has her own private security detail, basically, at great expense. To her campaign, her campaign donors, they obviously believe that she needs protection. I see that her parked car was uh, hit with gunfire the other day, and she was shaken by that. She wasn't in the car, but she was shaken by it. Well, imagine being a member of the community that is racked by crime, and you don't have private security paid for by other people, and your representatives, some of them are saying, well, let's also defund the police. What happens to those people, Congresswoman? I mean, there's just such a disconnect. And that's another example of the arrogance. Special private security for me, no police for thee, or a a vastly diminished police force. That is not what the American people want. But that's what they continue to push in sort of this, this radical agenda And when Jen Psaki and the White House, and they object to this notion that they have anything to do with the defund the police movement, and that's that's not what we believe, and it's a smear, it's a Republican smear and a lie, and it's a weird Fox News attack to even question this or, or suggest otherwise, may I remind you of a few things? And I made two of these points this week on Special Report. I have another one to add. The first point I'll make is, yes, it's true that Joe Biden wrote the crime bill in the 90s very harsh crime bill the left hated it at the time he thought it was good politics so he championed it bragged about it then he had to back away from it because the tides had shifted within his party when he was running for president but he was on that crime bill Kamala Harris, his vice president was famous for wanting to put people behind bars out in California in fact Tulsi Gabbard sort of took a chunk out of her on the debate stage talking about how frequently and how zealously Harris did that. So you might understand why their spokespeople would object or feel frustrated by the implication of the accusation that they are a soft-on-crime Democratic administration. But this is the problem that they run into. What they did in the past was erased or at least mitigated or hedged recently by new actions. For instance, on the campaign trail, remember, when Joe Biden was running for president, you had COVID as a dominant issue. You also had defund the police, you know, some of these massive protests and then riots in cities that was roiling the country. That was the backdrop of the 2020 campaign. And Biden has always had this sort of strange obsession with making sure that his left wing base is on board. And I think it's been actually uh, one of his big mistakes. In terms of governing, he's been more concerned about them than the mainstream of the country, which is how he won the election. But he wanted to make sure that, you know, following. All of the unrest, he was signaling to the people who were in some ways sort of minimizing or even excusing riots and the defund the police crowd that he was on some level on their side. He was asked in an interview about redirecting funds away from police departments, which is part of the definition of defunding the police, right? Part of the defund the police crowd, their issue is they disagree on how much they should be defunded, but some of the defunders, part of their spin was, well, we don't mean abolish the police and get rid of the police altogether, but some of the police funds should go elsewhere. That is not a popular position in the country. It is especially unpopular now. It wasn't even that popular back then. But within his party, there were strong forces demanding this sort of thing. And Biden was blowing along with the wind. And so in that moment, in that snapshot in time, he was asked a question. He gave an answer. Maybe he doesn't want us to think about this too hard or remember that he
4: said this. But he did in cut 17. They don't know anybody. They become the enemy. They're supposed to be protecting these people. So my generic point is that Do we
2: agree that we can redirect some of the funding.
4: Yes, absolutely. Do we agree that we can
0: redirect some of the funding to the police? Was that question? Yes, absolutely. Responded Joe Biden. That was on the campaign trail. Feels like sort of a different era. Right after the George Floyd murder and all of that, and now where we are today with spiking crime, that's not an answer that he wants us to play for you. But it's an answer that he gave as a presidential candidate. Kamala Harris, following the rioting in Minneapolis, she tweeted out a link to a fund to bail rioters out of jail. Rioters, not protesters, rioters. She said, hey, if you can chip in, here's the link. She encouraged it. Her staffers donated to that fund. That fund then bailed not just rioters out of jail, but some very dangerous people murderers and the like. And then they turn around and say, oh, indignant. How dare anyone suggest, how silly, that we're a soft-on-crime administration. Nothing could be further from the truth. Well, I mean, we just don't have, you know, the memory of a goldfish here. We can remember all the way back to the year 2020. One more point on this, and this is one that I didn't make on TV. I didn't have enough time. And this was before the Cory Bush interview had come out where she was like, hell, yes, we're going to keep saying defund the police. I don't care what the rest of my party says. And I think she's almost doing a service because there are some members of the Democratic Party who don't want that phrase employed for political reasons. They realize that it is harmful to their political prospects. So they want to sort of change their messaging in their spin. Whereas they were, you know, kind of on board with some. Degree of defunding or redirecting funds for police. Cory Bush is now being by sort of some mainstream liberals and people in the media and so on saying, oh, it's not fair for the Republicans to pretend like she represents the whole party. She doesn't represent the whole party. No one's arguing that she represents a very large element of their base, however, an animated element of their base. And you can't really just, I guess, sideline her. As a backbencher who has no influence, first of all, that never stopped them from attacking Republicans, from saying something like Todd Akin in her state. Other people made this point in Missouri. Remember his legitimate rape comments? Every Republican under the sun criticized that, but it was put into Democratic ads across the country attacking Mitt Romney at the time. It was 2012 attacking other Senate candidates. They used that to attack the whole party because of their whole war on women talking point. The Democrats did. Now they're squealing because a similar hard-nosed politics is being used against them, because some members of their caucus openly say they want to defund the police. Last point here: Cory Bush is the same member of Congress, you might remember, who got Joe Biden to do something that Joe Biden, as president, said was unconstitutional when that moratorium on evictions was ending. And Biden had said, look, we can't do this. We can't extend it. I don't have the power to do it. The constitutional lawyers looked at it. I can't do it. Cori Bush went to the Capitol steps and did like a sit in for three or four days. And she had her little sleeping bag and she had her snacks and she did a whole one woman protest. And AOC showed up with her for some solidarity. And she forced the hand of the administration and the president to do something that he personally explicitly had said he didn't have the power to do. And he basically said, oh, you know, we might get sued and the Supreme Court might overrule it, but we're going to do it anyway for progress. And she got a bunch of applause from Pelosi and from Schumer and from Biden himself doing the unconstitutional thing based on her agitation, this member representative defund the police it's hard to cast her as some nobody out there whose slogans don't matter when her slogans impelled the president to violate his oath of office by his own admission which is why the defund the police soft on crime issue will continue i think to plague the democratic party throughout this year heading into the election they've earned it they've made this bed for themselves Cori Bush is just saying it out loud. And yes, her words clearly matter, as do some of the words of the president and the vice president, words that they would prefer to be memory hold. Not here. Not on The Guy Benson Show, which returns after this short break.
2: Fresh conservative talk, Guy Benson Show.
0: I'm Guy Benson. It's the Guy Benson Show. We played this for Governor Kemp last hour. I'll probably play it again for Will Kane in the next hour. But as far as I'm concerned, this is the soundbite of the week. The governor of Nevada, a Democrat, joining some of uh, the other Democratic governors, just in these last few days saying, oh, never mind on these mandates. Uh, let's, let's lift the restrictions. The science has changed and they're including schools in Nevada and a teacher in Las Vegas with a bunch of little kids in the classroom announced to the kids guess what you're not gonna have to wear the masks anymore and just listen to the way they reacted cut 18
1: starting tomorrow we don't have to wear masks anymore
0: (laughs) don't tell me that these kids just love their masks I know some people Say, "Oh, my kid loves it. My lo-. Okay, if you love your mask on your kid and you, your kid loves it, fine. There's a lot of kids desperate to have these masks taken off of their faces, and the science doesn't support it, which is key. In Israel, a similar announcement. So this is Hebrew, but I think you can understand the reaction. This is uh, transcending any language. Cut
4: nineteen. uchlat. Yeah! lo
0: some joy and some relief. We were talking about these sound bites earlier on the call, planning for the show. Producer Christine said she almost started to cry when she saw the clip from Nevada of those kids. She said it didn't, it was sort of surprising. She didn't expect that she would get emotional, but she did. There's a visceral reaction. What have we been doing to our children? It's a good question. It's a question that a lot of people should have been asking more seriously a long time ago. It's The Guy Benson Show.
2: The Guy Benson Show.
0: Chugging toward the weekend on The Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday from Atlanta today and 106.3 Extra. Thanks for listening. Oh, well, look who we've got with us. It's Dave Rubin, host of the popular long-form talk show, The Rubin Report, and author of the book, Don't Burn This Book. Dave, good to have you back here. Guy, it's good to be with you. Thank you. And I have to start with this. We talked to you, gosh, multiple times over the course of probably a year or two as you were sort of rattling the saber and talking about maybe leaving California. And then you hit your final straw. You couldn't take it anymore. You have moved. You have now been a Florida resident for a number of weeks, I think, at this point. How does it feel to be a Florida man?
8: Guy, I believe I've been here for 46 days, but who's counting? Um, <laughs> it feels it feels absolutely incredible. Uh, you know, I gave it the old college try. I did everything I could in California. As you know, I campaigned with Larry Elder. I fought for the recall. I went to rallies to open up the state and get the kids out of masks and everything else. Uh, and in many ways, the state just either does not want to be saved or just seemingly wants more of everything that you know guys like you and I believe are is wrong with the place in the first place and since I've been here I have to tell you it, it really feels like moving to another country Uh, Florida has remained open the people I mean just put aside politics for a second the general feeling amongst the people here is there is a there is a deep care for freedom and with what comes with freedom is happiness and smiles and if you want to wear a mask wear a mask but if you don't you don't have to and go and the restaurants are packed and the economy is great and I can tell you trying to buy a house not the easiest thing here because you got to pay a lot because everyone wants to move here Uh, you know my moving truck even from from California uh, it was incredibly expensive because everyone's leaving California in a normal time. You know, a certain amount of people leave Cali. They go to Florida. A certain amount of people leave Florida, go to Cali. But now the trucks are only going one way, so you're paying a premium on that. But just everything here from top to bottom has just been spectacular. And as I tell everybody that I meet on the streets when they say hi to me, I say, hey, don't worry, guys. I'm here to keep Florida Florida. And that, that really is my goal. <laughs>
0: We had Carol Markowitz on the show recently. She made that same move, but from New York. It was really painful for her to leave New York. She loves New York, but she just had a certain threshold, and it was met. And so down to Florida she went, and I think because she was at an event with Governor DeSantis, like a private dinner or something. I seem to remember you were there too. Were you at that dinner?
8: I was at the dinner, and actually I had Carol on my show today. Uh, we did a Friday panel just about what's how great things are here in Florida and why we all moved here. And we, we were at that dinner. It was just a few days having uh, having landed here in Florida. And I got to tell you, although the, the conversation that we had with DeSantis was off the record – the guy is just a good guy, and and I'm very proud that he's my governor now. And I'm gonna you know do my best to make sure that you know obviously all the polls are showing he's gonna you know win re-election in a landslide. And and people love being here. Um, but the main takeaway from DeSantis, uh, and I've met him a couple other times, is that this is not a guy who wants to rule over you like a king, sort of the way Gavin Newsom and a lot of these blue state governors are. This is a guy who just wants to create the conditions for freedom, and and you make some decisions on your own. It really is true. And, uh, you know, he he smoked a cigar at the end, and we had a lot of laughs, and and it was all good. And that's the way it's supposed to be with with people and politicians.
0: Let's shift to Joe Rogan and this whole blow-up. I know you have thoughts on this. This is right in your wheelhouse. Rogan just went after CNN a little bit on his show, and here's part of what he said in Cut 25.
6: If you're in business, and your business is the news, and you want to get more people to pay attention, you should be honest. And my, my f- thoughts for CNN, my advice to them, I don't hate CNN. I used to go to them every day for the news until they started f***ing hating on me. If, <laughs> if you want to do better, just f- change your model. Change yeah. the way you do it. Stop this editorial perspective with guys like Brian Stelter and Don Lemon that nobody listens to. I nobody said- is like chiming in saying, oh, yeah, finally, we get the voice of reason. Nobody thinks that. Have people that give out effective news, objective news, rather, and I'll support you. you know I will what I turn said? around 100% and I'll be the people that tell I'll be one of the people that tells people I saw this on CNN, watch this on CNN. CNN has a different business model. They they're just being objective news now. I'm with you.
0: So Dave, you know, I don't agree with Rogan on everything. I disagree with him on certainly some things. That doesn't matter, right? Agreement or disagreement to me is immaterial in this fight which is about deplatforming and control. And it just strikes me how so many of the people coming after Rogan, it's the typical mob trying to collect scalps. This is a big one for them to try to collect. And I said on TV the other night, it's about not just control and power for them. Some of it is also about envy. And a lot of it is rooted in bad faith, where they're just going to reach out and grab any weapon they can find, even if it requires them to be hypocrites, even if they have to change their arguments midstream. It feels like this is an area where battle lines need to be drawn. And I wonder just overall, as you're watching this play out, what your thoughts are?
8: Yeah, well, you hit a couple things there. I mean, first off, you know, I'm glad to hear Rogan saying this stuff. And by the way, it's not the first time he said this sort of stuff. But this is the type of thing that that you and I and many other people have been saying for a long time. You know, when I wake up every morning and I set the schedule for my show, what we're going to talk about, and CNN has done some other ridiculous hit piece on somebody or lied about the Covington kids or lied about Brett Kavanaugh or lied about Russia collusion or lied about very fine – people on both sides or the litany of things that they lie about or or misrepresent it it is not a pleasure to do those segments i mean i can get plenty of laughs off it and you know it gives us content but i completely agree with with rogan's premise there which is hey if you guys would just give us the news uh, as objectively as possible, and then you can have your opinion shows or you know, tell us when people are editorializing, then nobody would be complaining about this stuff. And, and to even ramp that up a bit, you know, it's not that they have to be that great. You know It's quite possible that 20 years ago, we all look back maybe on 20 years and say, boy, the news used to be okay, and, and now it's just so terrible. Maybe they weren't that great 20 years ago. It's just we didn't have the internet to share the clips of how, exposing the lies. The thing is, if they would just be not that terrible, I think most of us would move on. But when they've become so clearly operatives of the Democratic Party and the way that they make everything so one-sided and half the country's racist and everything else, that really is the issue. And then to to specifically uh, hit on what you're asking at the end there, um, it's all about jealousy. It's all about envy. Joe Rogan is a comedian who became an interviewer-podcaster – just having conversations with people. Nobody in their right mind thinks that Joe Rogan is racist. Nobody thinks that anyone got killed over COVID because of Joe Rogan. But what's happened is he can get more clicks and more eyeballs and more more views uh, by sitting in his chair and spinning than Stelter or Acosta or Don Lemon or any of those guys could get despite having massive financial corporate power behind them. So they are angry. They are upset that this man is beating them. And by the way, he's not the only one beating them. There's there's plenty of other podcasters and these types of people that are doing something that's just much better than they're doing. And I would just say this, put it this way, if, if Stelter or Acosta, let's say, or Don Lemon was let go by CNN, Uh, Does anyone subscribe to them? Does anyone watch them? What they're watching is that it's a chair. So, you know, there was a chair there at Reliable Sources, which was a Sunday show for decades. Howard Kurtz, as you know, used to be the host. Uh, And that chair will just get you a couple views, and it gets you uh, less and less views over time because people are tuning out of cable news. So the issue is that these people are jealous because he's got what they want. And he's tried to do something roughly more honest. It doesn't mean he hasn't made mistakes along the way. It doesn't mean that I haven't or you haven't, Guy. Uh, but there's a whole new model developing here, a new world developing, and they're holding on to the old world. And the only way they know how to defend it, unfortunately, is by taking out people who don't deserve to be taken out.
0: And uh, coercion. And the other side of this, too, comes back to this word misinformation, which has been I would say, egregiously abused to the point that it means almost nothing at this stage, which is not to say that misinformation doesn't exist and that there are lies that need to be defended against and that there are not objective truths out there. That's not what I'm arguing at all. What I am arguing, and we've talked about this on this show, is that the gatekeepers who view themselves as sort of the guardrails of truth in our country reflexively, sort of in a knee-jerk way, increasingly recently have decided to sort of delegitimize or argue against things that they disagree with by labeling it misinformation which is not really an argument it's a disqualification and as we've noted in these conversations sometimes they're right and misinformation is in fact wrong that needs to be pushed back on but sometimes misinformation is actually not at all it's nothing of the sort and turns out to be vindicated and John Stewart, of all people, was making this point just this week in this context of Rogan, whom he's defended. Here's what he said, and he did it in a way, I think, to appeal to the left, so kind of a clever, almost subversive way of coming at it. Here's John Stewart, cut 24.
8: These are shifting sands, and I think I get concerned with, well, who gets to decide what that... I mean, we in the Iraq War, I was on the side of What you would think on the mainstream is misinformation. I was promoting what they would call misinformation. But it turned out to be right years later, and the establishment media was wrong.
0: Dave, some interesting bedfellows here.
8: Some really interesting bedfellows. Look, you know, the funny thing is you, you sort of hit on this at the beginning about Rogan. It's like Rogan and and even I at this point have massive political disagreements. I mean, Rogan, Rogan was a Bernie supporter and then ironically left California because of taxes to move to Texas. So it's not as if his political views are so like— complete and ready to roll and whatever but but conservatives are defending him you know people on the right are defending him john stewart of course is right about that i I think in essence what he was saying was hey i was questioning the iraq war questioning the motives questioning weapons of mass destruction that would be misinformation if we were to apply that what we do now to to say 20 years ago um i have political disagreements with john stewart and that's just fine too but it does come down to this to this accepted narrative situation. And the problem that the machine is having, whatever you want to call it, I call it the machine, you know the, the system, the corporate press, whatever you want to call it, the problem that it's having is in the old days, it could lie or craft a narrative. For whatever intentions it had, maybe they were good intentions sometimes, but it could do that and not enough of us could read the lie in real time and communicate about it or show how, you know, they cut a video clip so that a person didn't, you know, they take out the word not or, you know, just completely flip things on its head. Now, because of the Internet, we've been able to expose so much of this nonsense that nobody believes any of it anymore. And, you you know, so we're sort of at the, uh, you know, don't look at the guy behind the curtain Wizard of Oz moment, where we think it was this all-powerful Oz, and it turns out to be a kind of semi-failed scientist or magician, basically, who's who's not that great at what he does. So, look, there's just a rejiggering of all of the way we get information. And then, of course, you know, when you couple this with, big tech and algorithms and how we are being manipulated in ways we know. But as I always say, I'm more concerned about the ways we don't know. Uh, there's a big mess on our hands. But I think the fact that Rogan at least survived this round, I think, is important. Uh, that being said, you know, they did censor over 100 of his episodes that yeah. are still censored. Yeah. And he let that happen. So that's, And I'm not even judging him for that. Because, you know, everybody has their breaking point. I don't know all of his considerations. Maybe his wife was just saying, hey, I've just had enough of people calling you racist, even if it's not true. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. We don't know what that is exactly. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, we didn't get a perfect re- resolution here. But the guy wasn't destroyed. And that's a good sign.
0: Finally, Dave Rubin, I saw this tweet from your friend Jordan Peterson on Wednesday evening. I know it resonated with you and with your background in particular he wrote this and it's simple quote i wasn't a conservative until liberals kowtowed to radicals just want to let you react to that based on your experience
8: you know my political evolution i was a progressive i was a bernie supporter back in 2015. you know in essence i would call myself a conservative now i'm a little more on the say libertarian side of that um but Jordan's point is right. Something happened to the liberals. The progressives found the soft underbelly of liberalism, the obsession with tolerance and being liked, um, and they went in and they have rotted out and destroyed liberalism. So that is not to say that that defending truly classically liberal ideas – is not worthy it is I wrote a whole book about it, uh, however, in a modern sense, if you want to defend any of the ideas of liberalism, meaning individual rights and laissez faire economics and logic and reason, you're a conservative, and I would add to that, and this is why I can say I'm a conservative now and and not feel bad about it or something like that. Um, I want to conserve America. I want to conserve this experiment that for 250 years has been the best political experiment, not even political, it's been the best uh, human experiment related to freedom that has ever uh, transpired on the face of this planet. And anyone that wants to conserve that now, I would say you're roughly a conservative. It doesn't mean that even you and I, guy, necessarily agree on everything related to marginal tax rate or foreign policy or or even uh abortion or whatever. Yeah, we don't. Like, you wanna concert no, we don't, and that's the point, guy, right? Like that's the point. So but but the point is the broader point is if you want to conserve America, if you want to conserve the idea that people come before government, that you should make the choices in your life, that freedom is worth is worth something, that liberty is 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 a great idea, not because some system just gave you freedom, but you innately are are free, then that's what we got to conserve right now. And I'll deal with whatever our differences guy might be on the estate tax. I think we can work it through.
0: <laughs> Dave Rubin. Of the Rubin Report, his book is Don't Burn This Book. Dave, always enjoyed chatting. Let's do it again.
8: Anytime, my friend. Be well.
2: You too.
0: Guy Benson Show continues right after this short break.
2: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
0: Back on the Guy Benson Show. Happy hour coming up next. We will have Will Kane here. And since it is the happy hour on tap, and because it's Friday... Maybe we can start a little early with a really heartwarming story. And you know it has to be very heartwarming for me to share anything that reflects positively on the Philadelphia Eagles. And yet, this is amazing. So one of their players, Safety Anthony Harris, is the favorite NFL player of a young girl who's 11 years old, Audrey Soap, who lives in Texas. And as it turns out, this middle schooler lost her father a number of months ago and then lost her grandfather so two of the most important men in her life passed away in pretty rapid succession and that has to be very disorienting and really really heartbreaking for anyone but imagine being a girl in that age group and your world is turned upside down her mother reached out on social media to this player anthony harris who her daughter audrey just idolizes and adores and said There is a father-daughter dance upcoming at this school. Would you be willing to consider coming and being Audrey's date? Because her dad and her grandfather have both passed. And it happened. Anthony Harris showed up. He paid for Audrey's dress. He took all the photos. He was just a total gentleman about the whole thing. And it was just an act of kindness towards someone who needed it. And Audrey talked about the experience, Cut 22. I was very nervous because I didn't know what I was going to say. So at first it was kind of awkward because we weren't talking yet. And I was just kind of dancing with my friends, and I didn't know what to say to him. But then he kind of came up and started talking to me, I think about, like, football and how my day was going. And that started a conversation. So we just, like, we had multiple conversations, but the first one was probably just about how my day was and how my football was and all that stuff. Really, really sweet. My hat is off to Anthony Harris. What a kind, human thing to do. And what a thrill for this young girl, Audrey, who needed it. Final hour, happy hour coming up on The Guy Benson Show. Stay right here. It's the happy hour on this Friday on the Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. Glad to have you here. One hour until the weekend. Thanks for spending this last hour with us. The whole show available online, part of the podcast, every day, on demand, no charge. GuyBensonShow.com. That's GuyBensonShow.com. All the ways to listen live between 3 and 6 p.m. Eastern, or as I mentioned, the podcast, as a backup option. And this hour is sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is fantastic. We were actually talking about it last night at our event here in Atlanta, Guy's Night Out. TheLongDrink.com is their website. You can see where that product is sold near you. Delicious. You can also order online. TheLongDrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only. From the studios of Extra 1063 FM, I'm Guy Benson. And with us now is our final guest of the day. Will Kane, co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend, 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern, Saturday and Sunday, also host of the Will Cain Podcast at FoxNewsPodcast.com. Will, good to have you back. Happy Friday. What's up, guy? Oh, not much. Holding down the fort. Excited that it's Friday. Excited for the Super Bowl. Let's start there. Double question here. Who you got and who are you rooting for? May not be the same answer.
9: I have the Rams. I am unconvinced that magic and magical thinking can win the day. The magical thinking and magic are on the side of Joe Burrow. The only reason I can come up with guy to really pick the Bengals if you believe that Joe Burrow is just full of irrational magic, and he's certainly given you plenty of reason to believe that that could be the case, but the Rams strength is the Bengals weakness. Right. The Rams defensive line and Aaron Donald and Von Miller and their ability to rush and pressure the quarterback lines up all too perfectly and cutely with the Bengals terrible offensive line. I think Joe Burrow is going to be under pressure all game long and I think the Rams win and I think the Rams cover.
0: Are you rooting for the Rams?
9: I'm not. I I don't I don't love the Rams but I don't hate the Rams either. And if there's a I like Matthew Stafford, and I would root for this sort of validation moment for Matthew Stafford. He's a really good guy, and he's a Texas guy. He's a Dallas guy. And so I would root for Matthew Stafford and his story. There's a little bit of me that likes to root for Joe Burrow because, I don't know, you know, one of the coolest things in sports is that inexplainable it factor, and I was just calling it magic a moment ago, but whatever it is, Joe Burrow has it, and it's fun to see it play out. But I also think at some point, Joe Burrow, I don't take these things for granted because we thought Patrick Mahomes might have three Super Bowl championships at this point in his career, and it's just hard. It's not only hard to win it all, it's hard to get to the Super Bowl. So I don't want to take it for granted that Joe Burrow will win one, but you have this sense that he and it will have its time.
0: Yeah, I mean, very well could be, and I'm rooting, and I've said this openly, I'm rooting for Cincinnati. I'm rooting for their fans. I'm rooting for Burrow. I would like for that to happen for them. But I do like Stafford. In fact, I'm down here in Atlanta, and there's some people down here who'll be polling for the Rams because Stafford was a Georgia Bulldog. They feel like he languished for a long time in Detroit. Now he's got his chance to really prove it later on in his career. And that's a storyline that I'm interested in as well. I have nothing really against the Rams. I just feel like... Yes, the Bengals have earned it every step of the way so far, and they've done it in really dramatic fashion. They've done it on the road in really hostile environments. It's been impressive. But it also has felt sort of like they've been playing with fire for a while here, and they keep just barely avoiding getting burned down. They're getting singed but not burned down. And can they keep that, your word, magic going just one more game? Maybe. Maybe. Right? I don't think they're going to get run out of the building by any stretch. Maybe. You never know what's going to happen. I think it could be very close and competitive. And if it comes down to the very end, I mean, Burrow is a money guy who's a winner. But I think my instinct would be to pick the Rams for the reason that you said. But I'll be rooting for Cincy. I just feel like that city could use it.
9: I'll bet you, guy. By the end of the game, I'm rooting for Cincinnati as well because of what you said. Those fans, it's hard not to root for fans that have been long suffering. Yes. And, and make no mistake, the Bengals have been the Bengals fans have been long suffering. And the truth is, who is a big time fan of the Rams? Los Angeles didn't support them the first go around, and right. I don't think that there's any diehard, passionate Rams fans today in Los Angeles. Well, there so- are
0: some, right? But not really a groundswell, mm-hmm. and certainly not. I mean. The Rams will consistently, in their new beautiful stadium, have huge numbers of visiting fans rivaling right. their own home fan base, and that's when they're really good, right? The Bengals right. have been awful for a long time, or at least you know mediocre at best and constantly disappointing, and that fan base, a lot of them have stuck with it year after year after year. We had Bill Hemmer on the show yesterday. He's one of them. That's the reason why I'm pulling for them. And I like Burrow. Those are my two big reasons. I think those are pretty good reasons.
9: I do, too. And I think they may win me over by the end of the game.
0: Okay. All right. We'll, We'll check back in with you when all is said and done, depending on what happens. Will, at the top of the show today, I was playing some of this sound. I'm sure you've seen it or heard it by now. Here's one example. Las Vegas, Nevada, elementary school classroom. A teacher makes an announcement to the children. Cut 18. I mean, that's just, I mean, high-pitched squealing of absolute joy, the kids being told they don't have to wear masks anymore. You know, setting aside all of the political debates and the scientific debates, I have a very strong point of view on this issue, masking kids in schools. Listeners will tell you, he talks about it every day. We know, Guy, we know. To me, listening to that reaction from those kids spoke volumes and – I wonder what you think if you had a visceral reaction the way I did to that clip.
9: I was on the set of Fox and Friends this morning when that scrolled across my feed. I turned to Carly Shimkus and Brian Kilman. I said, "You got to watch this." I tried to get it cleared so we could play it on television this morning before the show was over. We didn't. We didn't get that accomplished. That video tells the entire story. Let me let me pause at That video. Set it side by side, guy against this observation as well. So to tie it into sports, a good friend of mine is Dan Orlovsky. He's an NFL analyst for ESPN. Oh, yeah.
0: I saw him on yesterday. I was watching at the gym.
9: He's excellent. He's very good. He was a Detroit Lion. He was good friends with Matthew Stafford. He lives in Connecticut. He's not a political person. He tweeted out something this morning about Ned Lamont, the governor of Connecticut, and the rules in Connecticut and he didn't really specify what rules he was tired of it was time to move on from. But everyone could sort of read between the lines. It he was most likely referencing the masking of children. And I just looked at the replies guy and you know, how worthwhile is that? How representative is that? It's not. I don't know. But here's Dan who lives in a mainstream, quote unquote mainstream world, right? Well, you would think many of his followers or people that are paying attention to him aren't necessarily the most politically motivated, but the replies were like, come on, man, it's not that big of a sacrifice. Come on, man, follow the science. Come on, man, it's going to go away in two weeks, the mask mandate. Is this the tiny hill you choose to die on? And I looked at those and I thought, man, this is a bunch of sneering adults who define themselves by an anti scientific political proposition or a paranoia that they've internalized. And all they need to do is watch that video. I I don't know, they'd probably sneer at that video that you just played for us because they've adopted the sneer as an argument and as a posture and as an attitude. That, those sneers against that joy from those children, I know which side of that debate I want to be on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. And look, it would be one thing, we we shouldn't govern based on the whims and desires of young children, right? Adults need to make smart decisions when raising kids and making public policy that affect kids, right? So just if a bunch of kids would go crazy because they're told they could eat nothing but cotton candy for a week, that would not mean that. Feeding them cotton candy for a week would be the right thing or the responsible thing to do. In this case, their joy, their relief, also aligns with the data and the science going back more than a year. And it's adults imposing anti-science policies on the kids that have been harming them for absolutely no reason. And when they try to justify it, they can't point to good, solid data because it doesn't exist and so they deflect to other things like appeals to capital s science in their minds which is really just like a superstition shaming sneering as you say and this argument that hey kids are resilient it's not that big of a deal in fact my kid loves his mask my kid never (laughs) wants to take his mask off again and like when you see these people posting about how much their kid is afraid to take off his or her mask That's not a reflection on science. That is, I think, evidence of almost a psychological abuse at the hands of adults.
9: That is a, that should be an impetus to call CPS. If your child is afraid to take his mask off and you're proud of that fact, you might need to be receiving a visit from Child Protective Services. Here's another picture. Let's place these pictures side by side. Take that video again that you just played and place it side by side with the picture of the morbidly obese, big comorbidity Stacey Abrams sitting in a room full of kindergartners with no mask on. And then explain to me, you know, should we be following the children's Cries of joy, or should we be following the capital S science, as you put it? Because I believe the data in science is pretty sound that an unvaccinated child, unmasked as well, is at less of a risk to transmit or suffer from COVID than a forget comorbidity-driven obese Stacey Abrams, a vaccinated adult of any stripe. That's That's correct. The science. That's the science.
0: It is, and I just wonder if there's anyone out there who's been teetering. And maybe they've been sort of in the mask brigade or even like the hardcore masking cult, and they're starting to wonder if they're on the right side of this thing. And they see a video like that on top of some of the more rational arguments that are being made out there. You just wonder if that's the type of thing that can start to move people into another camp or at least out of their entrenched thinking. I think that video and then the image that you describe with Stacey Abrams surrounded by a bunch of masked kids while well, she's not – I mean, those two things side by side, they send very powerful messages without anyone like you or me having to spell it out. You just put it in front of someone and their eyes do the work for them, in my opinion. And that's why I think we're at a tipping point.
9: On this guy, we are going over the falls. We will tip. This one is falling apart. So this massive two-year anti-science propaganda power play campaign is almost over. It's happening, and the rats are jumping off the ship. What our lesson needs to be – and of course we need to push it across the finish line – but what our lesson needs to be is what about next time, Guy? Because what everyone did is defer too much judgment, too much trust in – again, I I like how you say it. I've said scientism or capital S science or the quote-unquote experts who – Have burned every ounce of credibility. Mainstream media is a part of this as well. And what happens when the next thing comes along? You know, you could say on one hand, the next thing will come along because there will be another cynical play off of that same supposed credibility to control our lives. But how about the worst? How about a, a worse alternative, guy? What about when something real comes along, right? I mean, I'm talking about a pandemic of epic proportions, and we can't trust a single thing that these people have ever said.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, I think COVID is a very real bad pandemic. And I think that the reason that we are so divided right now is because the people who are in charge of being experts and being the adults in the room and demanding that we trust them and listen to them have squandered a whole lot of that trust. And we might not be experts or scientists, but we can also read and we can reason and we see what's gone on. And those bridges have been torched in a lot of cases. And to your point, I think that that could have longstanding implications, some of them very bad. Some of them may be healthy. I don't know. Now, Will Kane, stand by. I want to get to one more issue with you, this controversy north of our border with the truckers. Very eager to get your take. We will get to that as soon as we come back. Happy hour on The Guy Benson Show.
2: Continues next. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show.
0: Welcome back. It's the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. Our guest is Will Kane of Fox & Friends Weekend. Last question, I want to ask you about what's happening north of the border in Canada with these truckers, Will. Your overall thoughts on this, because to me, I am, on one hand, very sympathetic to their cause. I'm super pro-vaccine, anti-mandate. I think this now being imposed on these essential workers, when they were out there driving and keeping the country open, when there was no vaccine available to them, they had to do it, and now they're being told you can't work without these various mandates and these you know boxes being checked. I think that's unfair and unjust. I think the way that the prime minister up there is attacking them and demeaning them and smearing them with all these names, I think that's extremely distasteful but sort of par for the course with the modern left these days. I also find it kind of to be a brain-scrambling thing to see conservatives kind of defending a protest that shuts down Commerce and streets when we're generally against that sort of thing with environmentalists or BLM or whomever and then the left on the other hand being like we must crush this workers rebellion. It just feels like roles are a little muddled right
9: now. Look, I I, I like this about you guy. I like that you look for intellectual consistency and, and are quick to call out hypocrisy and I like that in my life because I want to be called and you know am i inconsistent on this yeah probably is there, are there times where i've said you know by the way all of these protests we're using as examples here are peaceful so we don't need to even bring in the non peaceful variety of protest but a peaceful protest let's say like you pointed out of an environmentalist who stops traffic right um, would I be critical of that protest? Yeah, I probably would. And am I in support of this protest? Yes, I definitely am. So maybe I'm inconsistent, and maybe I'm hypocritical, and maybe it lies in within the the actual issues behind the protest. And we had interviews this morning on Fox and Friends Guy, and they they, they were some of the most compelling I'd, I'd ever heard. It was Jeff Flock walking from truck to truck and talking to some of these con- convoy protesters in Ottawa. And The things that they said, I'll just tell you this, entirely sincere, 100% passionate, said things like, I'm not going to live a life of masks and QR codes. Another said and told his story about his daughter giving birth and not being able to be present for that birth, he losing his job, his wife losing her job. Just the human toll and cost of not COVID, but COVID response. And these people who are, make no mistake, the working class are telling the ruling class no more, and I don't know where it stops. I don't know that it stops at the Canadian border. I don't think protests come without some uncomfortability. I think the inconvenience, the traffic, the snarling commerce, the potential inflation are part of the point of the protest, and I happen to support the extremity of the action because of the extremity of the problem. And I don't know how you resolve it. That's one question I think no one has yet satisfactorily answered, Guy. Mm-hmm. What makes the trucks go home? You know, is it as simple as lose all mandates? Is it as complicated as just turn to do? Does not survive this politically, meaning he must step down? I don't know. And I think, I do think the truckers need to answer that. Describe victory. But I, I, I have no doubts about the moral purpose of the battle.
0: Will Cain is co-host of Fox & Friends Weekend tomorrow and Sunday, 6 a.m. Eastern till 10. He'll be watching closely that Super Bowl on Sunday evening. And we'll probably be talking about it on his podcast, the Will Cain Podcast. You can catch that at foxnewspodcast.com. Will Cain, have a great weekend, sir. Have a great show or two leading up to the Super Bowl.
9: Love it. Thanks, man.
0: Will Kane. on the Guy Benson Show. It's the happy hour. We'll be right back.
2: talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
0: We are broadcasting from 106.3 FM Extra here in Atlanta, Georgia today. Glad to be here on the Guy Benson Show. And appropriately enough, today, earlier we spoke with the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, a Republican. Here's part of my discussion with the gov. You have, I'm sure, watched with great interest over the last five days as a parade of Democratic governors have decided that the time has come to start lifting various COVID mandates, including on masks, many including children in schools. And they are claiming either explicitly or implicitly that the science somehow has changed on this stuff. And I know a lot of the Republican governors, yourself included, who did this a long time ago are looking around and wondering, what are they talking about? What science has changed? You were really first in the country and very harshly criticized at the time for opening up and ending some of the restrictions. I just wonder how you think about and sort of reflect back on that decision that you made early on in this pandemic and kind of juxtapose that with what the governors on the Democratic side are doing this week, all sort of at the same time stampeding together and clearly a very different tone in the coverage from much of the media.
5: Well, it's something to watch. That's for sure. I mean, look, pandemic politics uh, has been on display for a long time in our state and in our country. And it certainly was before the 2020 election. But you know what, guys, on display right now with all these Democratic governors, uh, you know, other people around the country that are undoing mass mandates that, you know, we've never had at state level here in the state of Georgia. And, you know, they're, they're saying it's because of the data and the science, but it's not. It's a political decision because the recent events here in Georgia with the hypocrisy of Stacey Abrams and school systems that have mask mandates, yet they'll allow visitors to come into school without masks. And, and the American people and people of Georgia just think this is insane. I mean, it's, it's so far into the pandemic now. We have tools to deal with this. People know where they are. They have the information they need to make good health care decisions for them and for their children, and that's what we should be letting parents do.
0: You mentioned Stacey Abrams. I was going to ask you about her as well. I mean, that photograph, I think, spoke volumes, right? You almost couldn't choreograph a photograph more damaging to her position than the one that she not only posed for but also posted before deleting and then attacking you for criticizing her, sort of suggesting it was racist. Then she apologized. But to me, the most important thing— is that she still believes that the problem is people who are not uh, forcing children to wear masks. And it reminds me, actually, of President Biden's position. It's still his position, based on what the CDC is saying. Here in Cut 5, he just said this this week on the very same issue. Let's listen.
4: Are you afraid, though, that some states and and cities are moving too quickly to loosen indoor mask mandates? Well, you know, it's, uh, I've I committed that I would follow the science, the science as put forward by the CDC and the and the, and the federal people. And uh, I think it's probably premature, but it's, you know, it's it's a tough call.
0: So he's hedging a little bit there, Governor, but he's claiming that he's following the science. He's not on school masking. He just isn't. There's no science in support of that policy. But he's saying for now, at least, it's still premature to take face coverings off of little children. That is also Stacey Abrams' position. That is the Biden Abrams' position, forced masking for children in Georgia schools. That, I guess, would be her policy if she were governor of Georgia right now. That seems to be a pretty important thing for voters to know.
5: So many contrasts, not only on this issue, issue, but keeping the economy open. Have our Kids in, even in the classroom, regardless of whether they're masked or not, just actually having them going to school versus not. There was many of our local metro systems that are controlled by democratic school boards that played pandemic politics with that, the vaccine, and other things. And quite honestly, Guy, no one trusts President Biden anymore. You know, this is a president that said, "Get vaccinated, take your mask off." We're not going to have math We're not going to have vaccine mandates uh, now. He's just mandated vaccines on everything under the sun, and if it wasn't for Republican governors and myself that were pushing back with multiple lawsuits against that it would be the law of the land right now and so look this is back to my point I mean I took pictures this week with students that were up on Capitol Hill some of them had masks on some of them didn't you know let's let the parents make that decision for them let's not you know put put our kids in, in mask and our teachers in mask uh, when there's not a need for it on many cases when people you know, feel feel very uncomfortable doing that. It's now in time in the pandemic. You know, a lot of science is out there saying, "Hey, look, the cloth masks don't work again." You know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I'm not the expert there, but at this point, people have information that they can go and get and make those decisions for themselves. You know, we are we are running a risk in this country of having the government decide everything for us. That
0: was conversation with Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. Available online, guybensonshow.com, part of our free podcast, the entirety of the show every single day on demand and free. Guybensonshow.com, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, the home stretch. Curious Christine has questions about Guy's night out last evening. I think she actually might like some of the answers to those questions. We'll get to them wrapping up the week
2: next. For the full interview and more, go to GuyBensonShow.com.
0: Home stretch on the Guy Benson Show. And if you're listening on the broadcast, that's Eminem, Lose Yourself. We should keep this one as a bumper song, just in general. It's got a good beat. It throws me back to, like, I think high school. It's been a minute since Eminem was at the peak of his popularity and relevance. But we mention Eminem here in the homestretch on the Guy Benson Show, GuyBensonShow.com, free podcast, because, as we discussed earlier in the hour with Will Cain, Super Bowl Sunday is upon us, and the halftime show is kind of a dream for anyone who was into hip-hop in the 90s and early 2000s, which is not necessarily me, by the way. That's not really my preferred genre and yet, these are some big names. We don't know what exactly this mashup is going to look like. And they've gone to a pretty great lengths to keep the whole performance a secret. But I know producer Christine is extremely excited about the halftime show. Christine, who's a part of this? Is it Dr. Dre, Eminem? Is Missy Elliott in there, I think I read?
1: I didn't read that. It's Mary J. Blige. And then I think Dr. Dre just announced that I believe they're going to have some guests, like stars, and one of them could possibly be Fifty Cent. If oh, is my, my dear date, friend, uh, my
0: dear friend, Fifty Cent, who I saw in <laughs> the street in New York, and I made eye contact and nodded. So that counts as close, longtime friends. That would be a surprise guest in performance.
1: Yeah, I am so excited. Is for Snoop? This Super Bowl. Is Snoop going to be part of this? Yes, Snoop. Man, am I missing anybody here? Mary J., Eminem, possibly Fitty. Oh, Kendrick Lamar.
0: So this I'm is really familiar with what him. in your wheelhouse?
1: <gasps> I mean, where do you think C. Diddy came from? Nineties oh. rap and hip hop is my jam.
0: I had forgotten Meghan, about C. Diddy.
1: Yeah, Megan is going to see what her mama really is all about. She's going to get a show.
0: Oh, like in addition to the televised show, you're going to be what? Rapping along?
1: Oh yes. Mm. I mean, th- I and just like I'm more excited about that. I actually started googling what time is the halftime show because I'm probably not going to be watching the game. And most websites say about tune in around eight o'clock ish. Does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, that sounds right. Around eight.
1: Yes. So, uh, C. Diddy will be making an appearance. Megan will get to see what her mom is all about. Yeah, let's, let's,
0: let's maybe move on because C. Diddy, I had forgotten all about that particular alter ego, Christine the Rapper. I'm actually, and this I think really says it all, I'm eager to move on to Curious Christine. That seems more palatable right now than C. Diddy and envisioning you rapping at your television screen. I know that you do have questions about last night, Guy's Night Out, here with Extra in Atlanta, our affiliate here. Really fun. There were sponsors there. Five listeners won a pair of tickets to this dinner and chatted with all of them at at length, a wide range of ages, which was really cool. Younger listeners up to, like, my parents' age. It was a blast. And there was a really awesome culinary component as well. So fire away.
1: So start from the beginning. You guys are – so there's five winners, five couples, right?
0: It was five pairs of tickets and they ended up all being couples, yes.
1: Okay. And you guys are at a restaurant. Are you are you actually hosting? Are you up in the front the whole time and are people asking you questions? Did you guys cook right away? Did you cook for the couples? Do you cook? Can you okay. cook? Okay,
0: well this is this is so many things. So I don't cook very often. I can cook a few things relatively well. Adam does more of the cooking in our house, but occasionally I will assist or, you know, one or two dishes. I tend to make. This was a restaurant, but also like a culinary school. So you had a dining room that was also open to this huge kitchen. And then there was a bar area as well. So the formal program, if you will, was probably only about 10 minutes maximum, where the guys here on the morning show locally on 106.3 FM, they said hello to the crowd. Then the chef who runs this location this restaurant slash institute he is one of 72 certified master chefs in the united states and he's opened this business it's his baby he takes great pride in it so he explained to the gathering what dinner was going to be like and sort of a bit of his background and then they seated the floor to me and i just talked briefly about the station and the show and being grateful and thanking people talked a little tiny bit about politics, and then, hey, let's have a great dinner, and everyone sat down. Three-course dinner, there was some wine, there was some beer, and that was about midway through. So it was, everyone arrived, they milled around, they had a few drinks, I was chatting with everyone. Then we had the quick program, and then everyone had dinner. And during dinner, I got up and made sure to go around to each table and chat with people. It was only a few dozen people, which was nice because it was intimate. They didn't make it big. It was like this cool, exclusive event where there wasn't like a step and repeat for photos, and that's it, although we did have a step and repeat for photos. It was an opportunity to really chat at length in depth with some of the sponsors at the station and some of these listeners where I think I was able to at least for 10 minutes per couple you know, chat with them, and that was extremely fun. The cooking component, I'm trying to cover all of your questions here, they wanted to do some social media stuff with me And so they sent me into the kitchen, I took off my blazer and I put on an apron, Uh and the chef just instructed me every step of the way on making this dish, which was a mushroom risotto with seared scallops. And I just listened to his instruction, I followed to the letter, and just sort of, I don't know, hammed it up a little bit for the camera. I felt like I was almost like on one of those Food Network shows, and... That was kind of fun. It was like Guy Benson but Guy Fieri just for a moment. And it turned out really well. No thanks to me, right? I was just sort of a robot doing whatever he said. But then we tried it. It was delicious. That portion was not served to anyone. But I did say that the scallops were delicious, and then a bunch of people ordered the scallops. I got the beef short rib which was also delicious, and then I was jealous of the chicken. There were three options. It was awesome. We had a great time, and the only thing really missing, I have to say, Christine, at least according mm. to several of the attendees, was, ugh, producer Christine.
1: <laughs> I knew it. I knew Many it.
0: Many people were asking after you and about you, and I'm actually afraid to say, that your idea that you've pitched this uh, <gasps> cookies, yeah. you know, bar crawl with the trolley and the dance party or whatever, many people were inquiring, is this actually going to happen? And <laughs> there were some conversations, I just have to say, here at the station with the sales team and some of the higher-ups. What's kind of cool about where this station is located, Extra, in Dicky Broadcasting and, and this same shared studio space, it's beautiful— Literally, you can look out the window of the studio right here and see the Braves ballpark, Truist Park. It is right there in this area of suburban Atlanta. They've basically built to be a little neighborhood for bars and restaurants and kind of like a, a sporting event atmosphere, and it's called The Battery. And there are many different bars and restaurants within five minutes walking you know, from 30 seconds away right across the street to maybe five minutes away in this little new neighborhood, and it's all gleaming and brand new and the stadium's right there, and there might have been a discussion maybe to bring down the whole, uh, you know, insurance liability question. Maybe no trolley or party bus, but just a bar crawl here in the neighborhood culminating in or maybe starting after a Braves game when it's warm out, during baseball season, it has been discussed. i'm just not trying to get your hopes up, but it would seem as though my next visit down here to Atlanta there is some groundswell of support for making sure at the very least you cookie are part of the event
1: i have a I have a brilliant idea. I mean you guys are really missing out on the bus, but okay we can we could push that to the side for now I'm still. You're, so not that part.
0: You're not conceding how the trolley?
1: About, how about Cookie's conga line? And every time we leave a bar, everybody Ugh. has to get in line and we conga to the next bar.
0: I'm going to put on sunglasses and walk in the other direction like I don't know who those people are. <laughs> who is that woman over there? I'm like, I have no idea. Just call the police and keep an eye on her. Uh, there, There are ideas that can be discussed. How about that? And I don't want to go any further. I don't want to make any promises. Quickly curious, Christine, any more questions here before we're out of time?
1: Yeah. Why do you say scallops so funny?
0: You mean scallops? Yeah. I just learned <laughs> how to scallops. say it in Cape Cod. In Cape Cod, they say scallops. That's where I first had scallops, and that's what they say, so I say scallops.
1: Huh. I've never heard someone say it like that you before. You say scallops? Scallops? Yeah. All yeah. right.
0: Well, when I'm <laughs> cooking them, when Chef Guy is cooking in my special kitchen, it's scallops, seared scallops.
1: Wee oui, chef, did you throw <laughs> did you throw any Bams out? Did you go? Bam,
0: no Bams. Bam. I probably should have done a Wee oui Chef though, because I was the little sous chef who was under the tutelage of this master chef. That would have been a good call. But yeah, no, no Bams, no Emerald ripoffs. But it was fun, and they're telling me they're going to send me an edited version of this video. I know Adam is desperate to see it, maybe just for proof that I that I actually do cook <laughs> from time to time, and maybe I will share it with you. Maybe I will share it on my social. We'll see.
1: You have to have to share that. I yeah, will see. see. I don't that. know. And it's undecided. I'm, I'm, I'm so I'm so happy that it was successful. Um, Matt Edgar texted me and said it was a great, great night. And um, I'm just going to leave you with this: I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Until you listen to me, give the people what they want.
0: <laughs> it you, was you know it was that cool is. that some of these listeners, actually all of them, had like little inside jokes quotes from the show jokes that we banter about in the home stretch like these are real listeners who pay attention to the show and they're like invested in it and all this stupid nonsense that we do in this segment every day (laughs) i guess some people actually like it so that's good news and let's end the week on that high note it is the guy benson show from atlanta back home next week i'll be doing the show back in dc on monday in the meantime have a great weekend stay safe Stay sane. We'll talk to you then.